Welcome to the Real Estate Syndication Show. Whether you are a seasoned investor or building a new real estate business, this is the show for you. Whitney Sewell talks to top experts in the business. Our goal is to help you master real estate syndication. And now your host, Whitney Sewell. Get your free copy of A Guide to Passively Investing in Commercial Real Estate. Inside, you'll learn the basics of passive income and real estate syndication, what kind of returns you can expect, how to find a sponsor, and how to evaluate the risks. Download your copy in the show notes or visit lifebridgecapital.com forward slash invest better to start your investment journey. This is your daily real estate syndication show. I'm your host, Whitney Sewell. Today, our guest is Dr. Moss Oishi. Thanks for being on the show, Moss. Pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me. Yeah, honored to have you on the show. Moss is not only a neurosurgeon in Houston, but he is also the co-founder and chairman of Market Space Capital. He has successfully invested and sold commercial properties over the last 30 years and has amassed a real estate investment portfolio of over $250 million in assets. He just released a new book called Prescribing Real Estate, A Doctor's Guide to Commercial Real Estate. Love that name, Moss. Welcome to the show. Give us just a couple minutes of your background. This thirty years, you know. Also, you've been a neurosurgeon at the same time. I'm sure that that takes a few hours a week away from your real estate business, there, right? But give us a little background. I basically started in real estate when I was 15. Of course, the real estate belonged to my parents, and since they were recent immigrants to the United States, it fell on the eldest member of the siblings of the immigrant family to take care of the real estate. And so, you know, I got exposure to things like collecting the rent and making sure the insurance was paid and property taxes were paid at a fairly young age. I think a lot of Asian families encourage their children to get involved with this kind of, you know, business experience early on in life. And certainly my family was no exception. I wish more families got children involved in the business, right? Or in a business or just to think that way. And any tips around that? Or did you do that as well? Or if you have children or any thoughts around that? Yeah, I have three children. Sometimes it feels like I have more than three children, but I do try (laughs) to get them some real world experience. Usually around 14 or 15 years of age, I start them out. It doesn't matter what kind of job or responsibility you give them, just so long as you make sure they're taking that seriously. And and I think that's an experience that they'll carry with them no matter where they go. For sure. Well, I know you are, I mean, you've been in the real estate business a long time and have invested in many different projects, no doubt, and are very experienced. You know, I wanted to hear just a little more of the economic side or just your thought process behind, you know, the economy right now and how, you you know, maybe places you're gathering data and how you come to those conclusions and us dive into just some conversation around that at the moment. Right. Well, I think fundamentally our economy did take a bit of a hit from the recent COVID crisis. And, you know, we are still in many ways climbing out of the bit of recession that that brought with it. There are some subsectors of the economy, if you will, that suffered more than others, including hospitality and you know, travel. Those kinds of industries are, are still trying to, to dig their way out. On the other hand, what we've seen in terms of Real estate, the real estate market itself is record low interest rates and very high demand for housing. 
I'm still having a hard time reconciling those two realities, but it is what it is. And we're actually looking at ways to take advantage of some of the opportunities that we see, especially in subsections of the real estate market, such as multifamily housing. Could you, you know, that's a great place for you to elaborate as well. Like you said, looking for ways to take advantage of this. Could you elaborate on like, where do you see those advantages? What advantages specifically are you trying to take advantage of? Right. Well, as I said, right now, the demand for housing, almost every single kind of housing is very strong. And we've seen, if you want to look at the the economic data, we've seen compression in cap rates. We've seen, you know, studies showing that the deficit of rental apartments and condominiums for the next 10 years is probably in the order of millions of units. And so there is a strong demand, not just at present, but also going forward for housing. And, you know, we like to focus at market space capital We like to focus on a model that we call attainable housing, whereby we target middle-class renters who seem to be the most intense segment of the population when it comes to going after real estate. And also, it's the fastest growing segment that we see in terms of demographics. Yeah, targeting the middle-class renters. You know, how are you all picking your markets right now? Are they markets that you've been involved in for a long time or did that change, you know, over this past, you know, pandemic and year? Right. Well, I mean, we are based in Houston, which, you know, I've been told many, many times that we're lucky sons of guns because, you know, (laughs) this is the kind of market where you can toss a dead cat and you're going to hit some property that's interesting in terms of its value and usage. But all joking aside, I think we have been fortunate, but we're not just looking at Houston. We also have projects going on in Dallas, Fort Worth area, and also in other states, including Las Vegas. And, you know, we're also looking at different parts of the country, not just the South or the Southwest. So, you know, we look at properties with some guiding principles. One, of course, is the affordability of, of, you know, the housing that we intend to produce. But also we want to look at other factors like sustainability and also we want to make sure that it's inclusive, that, you know, perhaps renters who have you know, medical issues or are senior citizens can also have access to those kinds of projects. So we have a panel of econometrics that we use to determine whether or not, you know, a property is suitable for the kind of investment we're looking for. We actually look at somewhere between 28 to 33 parameters, including things like local crime rates and education, uh, quality of education. But, you know, I can't divulge the actual formula for that because that's proprietary. (laughs) You know, that was going to be my next question, right? I want to hear all the... (laughs) All those metrics. Well, is there just, I mean, one or two metrics that you can share that maybe you all have, you know, seen that's been extremely crucial or maybe a major red flag when you see this type of metric in a property or market? Right. Well, I wouldn't necessarily call it a metric, but of course, you know, location is the most important metric in real estate for my money. But we also look at things like, as I said, you know, local crime, the quality of education, as well as you know, accessibility to things like public transport or the highway system. There are all kinds of metrics that we look at, and they're each weighted differently. And we don't 
necessarily use every single metric for every single property that we evaluate. But I think, you know, we've come up with our own formula that makes sense for us, for what we want to accomplish. And so that's kind of what separates our approach from other private equity firms or venture capital firms or even real estate investment trusts who take more of a shotgun approach. Not that that's a bad approach, but we like our own approach a little better. Yeah, well, I like having a plan. I know that. Uh, having something like that gives you some guidance. I think you're going to be a lot further along. Well, what about, you know, just from what you know, what's happened, just from your experience over many years now and what's happened over this past year, you know, what are your projections? What are your thoughts over the next six to 12 months just in the real estate market? Well, I think a lot depends on which segment of the market you're looking at. Obviously, even before COVID struck, the retail sector was definitely facing some tough times. I think a lot of that has to do with the advent of e-commerce and how it's becoming easier and easier to fulfill a lot of your shopping needs just by ordering things over the internet. You know, it's not necessarily good or bad. It's just different. And with change, there are going to be winners and losers. And I'm afraid that a lot of the big box retailers were already taking it on the chin. And certainly with the coronavirus pandemic, that didn't help their cause much either. So I would say, you know, even in in a depressed type of sub-segment of the market, like retail, if you can find bargains and if you like the property and you know you know, what you're doing, then there's certainly nothing wrong with, with trying to create a project or a business out of, you know, what you feel has value and what other people like, you know, guys sitting in an office in Manhattan, many thousands of miles away from where you are, probably don't see what you see. So it's one of those areas where if you know what you're doing and, and you know things that other people don't know, then you certainly have an advantage and I would not say, you know, don't invest in commercial, you know, retail properties right now. There are bargains to be had, I'm sure. We take a different approach. We like to shift our resources into the segments of the market that are currently hot, if you will, and certainly multifamily and industrial in terms of warehouse and distribution type properties are very much in the hot spot, if you will, of today's market. Yeah, so you still, you believe right now, I mean, it's still a prime time to be investing in commercial real estate. Well, I think if you choose your properties or if you choose your sub-markets carefully, and obviously it helps to have a plan, we like the econometric model that we use. And so we're very confident going forward. I have seen nothing to suggest that the low interest rate environment, that the environment that we see now where, you know, there's a lot of capital floating out there chasing investments. I've I've not seen anything that would make me think that environment would change so quickly. I think there's still a lot of countries on lockdown. There's still a lot of countries that are are dealing with coronavirus. I think most recently, India, you know, one of the most populous countries in the world is going through quite a bit of trouble with managing the crisis. And so, you know, the central banks tend to respond to crises by printing money and keeping interest rates low. I think that sort of mindset is likely to continue for the foreseeable future. 
Any thoughts on that right there as far as how the central banks affect maybe you as the commercial real estate investor? Well, obviously, central banks control the flow of money and the cost of money in terms of short-term interest rates. Now, you know, is it possible that worldwide inflation could suddenly spark and long-term interest rates rise and you know, upset the entire apple cart? Certainly, it's possible. But I would say looking at the trend of the past 10 years, what we've seen is more of a deflationary scenario when it comes to basic goods and services. That is what is measured by things like the CPI, which is put out by the Bureau of Labor Statistics. The official inflation rate has been less than 2% for the last 10 years on average, probably even longer than that. Now, that's not to say that inflation doesn't exist. I do believe it does. It's just in the categories of things that aren't necessarily reflected in the CPI. The cost of higher education, for example, that's not reflected in CPI at all. And the cost of healthcare that makes up only 7% of the consumer price index. So, you know, there are a lot of things that, you know, we look at if you want to live a middle-class, upper-middle-class lifestyle that don't necessarily jive with the basket of goods and services that the government looks at when calculating the official inflation rate. Are there some specific places where you gather data so you can better understand what's happening like that? Oh, we definitely, you know, attend various webinars and we listen to the experts, you know, the Wall Street Journal is one of my favorite reads. I know it's really boring for some people, but I tend to find it fascinating. But yes, I mean, we, we look at the economy both on the macro scale and also we look at local markets as well. I think we have our advisors. We have plenty of business joint venture partners that we sure. also listen to. So and we have quite the network of, of people on various rungs of, you know, the size of the economy, whether they're looking at the entire stock market or whether they're looking at you know just uh, the property down the street from our office building, we get a lot of input, and uh, of course you know we like that. That you know definitely keeps us alert to opportunities as well as you know possibly any impending adverse events that might be coming our way. Are you investing in anything outside of real estate right now? Well, we're actually looking at properties that could be used for warehouses or also okay. for distribution centers. You know, you may have noticed that Amazon and other big retailers like Walmart are kind of on a building binge right now. They, they're buying up properties so that they can meet their expanding needs in, in e-commerce. And so that's not a bad segment of the real estate market to, to focus on either if you're looking to, to buy. What would you say is the biggest risk right now getting into the commercial real estate market? Well, I think there has been quite a bit of appreciation, asset inflation, if you will. Some of it is due to demographics in the Texas area. I'm just giving an example. Some of it's also due to easy money or you know the ability to borrow at very low rates. There's also quite a bit of you know foreign capital that's interested in buying into investments here in, in the States. So it's easy for some properties to become inflated. And you know, uh, the danger I think is in chasing a property that is so high that has generated so much interest that a lot of investors perhaps lose sight of you know the old maxim you should buy low and sell high. 
not buy high and, and try to sell even higher. So that's, you know, kind of what we look out for in terms of avoiding that kind of scenario. We like to make sure that we buy the property right. And, and what we found is, you know, that's really where we make money. You know, it's uncertain at what price we can sell a property, but we can sure control the price of, at which we buy a property. No, that's well said. No doubt about it. And I know we've talked about this a little bit, but just, you know, say it happens again, there's another pandemic, you know, like how are you all preparing for a downturn or maybe, you know, the way you're buying that property, like you mentioned, or other things that, you know, help you prepare for potential downturn? Right. Well, I mean, quite frankly, even during the 2020 year, we basically moved forward with projects. We found that there was still a strong interest in the projects that that we were bringing forward from our database of investors that we built from the ground up. We focus mainly on high income or high net worth individuals who essentially had never invested in real estate before. And we found that the response to what we were putting forward in terms of opportunities was quite encouraging. So I would say that in terms of things like macroeconomics, yes, it is a concern that spending could slow down or that the government and not catch up with the needs of people who've been displaced because of lost wages, and that stimulus may not catch up to what's required in order to keep the, the economy moving. That's certainly a concern, but when it comes to the actual housing market, there's still a lot of, of interest from investors, and you know the rental market remains strong. So I think you know those are encouraging signs for us. It's not an absolute guarantee, obviously, but we look at that and you know we're hopeful that we'll be able to weather out the entire coronavirus crisis, even if it is prolonged by another year. What's your best source for finding new deals right now or opportunities? Well, it used to be word of mouth because one of our partners, David Rodardi, he had been a broker in Houston for many years before he became our managing director. So, you know, he's got a tremendous network of other brokers who bring us all kinds of projects to look at. I would say we probably say no nine times out of 10 before we even start evaluating a a property. And that doesn't make me very popular, but it is, you know, how how we become very selective about what sort of investments that we, that we try to develop and put in front of our investors. Makes you more popular with your investors though. I would hope so because it's a lot of work. (laughs) Yeah. Masa, any daily habits that you are disciplined about that have helped you achieve success? Well, I think it comes down to humility and hard work. I mean, I go to work every day understanding that I can't do this alone, that I'm dependent on my partners and, and the employees that I have. And we are in turn dependent on our investors. And I have to say that I've done my time running small businesses before, mainly in the form of of medical offices. And I I really didn't enjoy that because it's such a over-regulated type of business. You know, medicine is perhaps one of the most regulated industries that we have in America. And I'm just so thankful that, you know, I've been given the opportunity to focus more on big picture concepts and given the chairmanship, which I really don't deserve, but (laughs) nobody else wanted it. So I'm happy to take. (laughs) I love your answer, just humility and hard work. Those two things can just take you so far. I just love that answer. But what's your best source for meeting new investors right now? 
Well, I started basically by contacting those doctors that I had met over the years and, you know, really almost cold calling them. I mean, they're usually receptive to the idea of investment opportunities, but I had no idea that this was going to work. So, you know, we kept expanding the network based on what kind of responses that we received. So if a doctor really liked what we were proposing in terms of an investment, we immediately asked him to get us in touch with others in his circle who might also share that kind of interest in investing. So that's how we did it. We really just you know, did it organically from the ground up. You know, a lot of phone calls were involved. And, you know, there was a lot of rejection as well. I mean, there are some doctors who just want nothing other than to be left alone in their private time. So, you know, there was a lot of trial and error at the beginning. But now we're kind of very happy that we did it because we have a very strong network, very strong database of investors that we can go to. And that database continues to grow. And how do you like to give back? Well, I like to give back by being as transparent as possible. I really don't like the model that certain private equity companies or REITs use. I mean, you know, I've invested in REITs before. I'm sure we all are familiar with with their model, but it's so much like a mutual fund. You know, you give your money to people and do you really know where your money is on any given day? I don't. I mean... You can check the quarterly prospectus and you can see what percent went to which company and things like that. But, you know, that's not the level of transparency that I think a lot of investors are looking for. I think they really want to see their investment in action. And, you know, we've gone so far as to set up video cameras at construction sites for the projects that we're developing so that, you know, our investors can actually get a day-to-day, you know, progress report with their own eyes. That's really neat. I've heard of a few groups doing that, but not too many. That's really neat. So investors can log in I guess, and see, just really see it live, what's happening. Exactly, right. Yeah. What kind of feedback have you received from that? I just wonder. Well, I think it's been mostly very positive. There are a lot of investors, I'm sure, who are happy with the idea of putting money into a fund and then trusting the, the fund managers to, you know, work their magic and make their returns happen. But I think there's also quite a substantial number of investors who like to see and feel and be a part of the story. And that's great because, you know, those investors have passion and those are the investors that we like. Yeah, no doubt about it. Well, I appreciate your time today. It's a pleasure to meet you and just appreciate you sharing just your thoughts on the economy and different things that have happened, how that's affected your business and moving forward. And even your panel of econometrics that you use, a couple of those things. Maybe we can get you back on and pull out a few more of those from you as well. You know, this went by so fast. I guess I was having so much fun, but I really do appreciate you having me. Yes. I mean, there's other topics that I'd be happy to. Yeah, definitely. That would be great. But yeah, it does go by fast and we're grateful for your time. Tell the listeners how they can get in touch with you and learn more about you. Well, our company is called Market Space Capital. You can reach us on the web at marketspacecapital.com. I'm also author of a book, which is on Amazon. You can access that information from our website as well. But I'd say, you know, our target audience for the book is not necessarily just doctors, but professionals who, you know, are good at what they do, 
and generate lots of income, but are unsure about how to get to a point where you don't have to rely on that income anymore. I think that's our target audience. Thank you for listening to the Real Estate Syndication Show, brought to you by LifeBridge Capital. LifeBridge Capital works with investors nationwide to invest in real estate, while also donating 50% of its profits to assist parents who are committing to adoption. LifeBridge Capital, making a difference, one investor and one child at a time. Connect online at www.lifebridgecapital.com for free material and videos to further your success.